0: I'm Luke Gerges And I'm Poppy Reid. And today we're talking to two founders who could potentially be building Australia's next generation's most influential music companies. If Generation 1 was Gidinski and Chuggy, Generation 2 was Jadon at Unified and Paul and Jess at Secret Sounds, Generation 3 might well just be Untitled Music Group. Untitled is Australia's largest independently owned music and events company. You might know some of their festivals such as Beyond the Valley, Wildlands and Pitch, But they also operate a number of music venues, are a management company, a booking agency and a media business. Mike and Nick are two of the four founders and are here with us at Big Sound today. Mike and Nick, welcome. Thanks Thanks for having us. us.
1: It's so impressive when Luke reads all of them like that. And I know that that's only scratching the surface of what you do too. I want to start by asking about Beyond the Valley. Is it true that it's the biggest multi-day festival in Australia?
2: As of this year, yes, our capacity is 35,000. We get 20,000 20, people in on the first day, they say for four days. So based on the metrics that Blues Fest uses and other festivals, mm-hmm. we are now the largest festival.
1: Amazing. I want the origin story. How did Untitled start?
3: It's a bit, well, Untitled as a company, you know, it, it isn't as old as, I guess, the origin. story from when we first, because we we all were doing individual things and it was very much organic coming together. Um, Nick was running a nightclub, uh, myself and Phil, one of the other partners, uh, were underage, using fake IDs to work for Nick as promoting a DJing. I had no
2: idea what their real names were for a very long time. How long? Uh, it was at least six, six months. months. So, <laughs> so Phil was DJing at, at my club oasis like every Tuesday and Mike was like, promoting. Mike was his friend, bringing people in, demanding drink cards. And-,
3: and it wasn't until Nick actually saw how well every week the numbers were stacking up and he goes who are these Mike and Toby guys, the 100 people? And he goes, Mike, Toby, um, do you want to actually run an, a nightclub with me? I'll run our own an event. And then we had to level and go, Nick, we're still in high school. Can and, you, can...
2: and the real names are.
3: And the real <laughs> names are,
2: yeah. Um,
3: but Nick, to his credit, laughed it off and said, finish your schooling, let's start it next year when you're in university. Um, and then we brought on our fourth business partner, Christian, um, because he was a uh, you know hosting uni nights at the time. We created our first night treehouse. Yeah, he
2: was actually running like after parties at his parents' property. In research. In research. One so that Mike actually like gatecrashed.
3: Talking about organic, I tried to uh, arrive at the party to pick up my partner, and Christian wouldn't let me in because I didn't have a ticket. And I said, "This is a house." And he said, <laughs> "No, it's a private event, mate. He had f- fence gates off, security, a full ticketed sound system." So I had to sneak around and jump the fence to pick up my partner. It was where I met Christian. Um, and yeah, the-
2: we had a meeting with him the week after. And the four of us just we really gelled. We've got the same values, same morals. And we've stayed business partners ever since. I was 12 years ago. 12
3: years ago, yeah.
1: What are those values? What would you say your three values are that are aligned across the board? I think
2: we've got a real community first focus. So every, and it comes from running nightclubs. Clubs are based on community. So you get the same people down every week and everyone becomes friends with each other. And that's how we've started each festival. It's how we've expanded Wildlands into Perth, into Adelaide, by building community first and then the festival second. So that's probably one of our core Yeah, values. it's building
3: that community. We love bringing people together. Um, innovation, you know, back in those days, innovation meant doing themed club nights and painting and decor. And what if we did, you know, that was great. That's now evolved to how we innovate with our festivals. Um, and then a third, I think, is obviously the, the love for music. Like, like we do a lot of different, you know, vertical integrations, horizontal businesses across the board, but really Untitled Group um, focus on experiences first with music at its backbone. So,
1: I want to know more about the, those early days as Untitled. Like you've got this group of guys together, you realise that your values are aligned, you realise you want to start a business together, then what?
2: We kind of like bootstrap it for... Well,
3: I think the biggest thing is that... You know, particularly like um, you know, Nick and I both have you know, European background, no, you don't really kind of get really trained that music can be a proper business. You know, I still went to uni, I studied biomedical science, I wanted to be a doctor like my brother and that's the, you know, be a good Greek boy and do that. But um, I think what we started realising was as the clubs evolved, so that first nightclub we did was doing about 1,000 people a week and we're hitting capacity there. Um, then we set our sights onto a bigger project. We launched Anyway at the Palace Theatre and 6,000 people came to the launch night. Uh, the riot police had to shut off the front door. And we had that beautiful moment where you have that photo. It was like the Studio 54 of the crowds all around the theater. And once, you know, people got a, a wind of that, we love creating those moments that everybody's talking about. And, um, you know, anyway, it was doing two to 3,000 people a week. Mm. And naturally with the progression, we go, okay, from clubs to festivals. Um- well, it
2: was really the venue owners of that venue, the City, which was a really iconic space in Melbourne. They sat us down and they're like, you guys have the audience, you're booking the talent, you should start a festival. And Pyramid Rock had just stopped uh in phillip mm-hmm. Island. So we kind of took what we knew, spoke to certain people, got people involved and that was the first year. Why do they did they do they have a stake in Beyond the Valley? Or mm-hmm. no stake. They just like they saw something and they were just like, We didn't do it, mm-hmm. but we want to see you guys do it. And just to,
3: to reference when Nick said, you know, you guys have got the community, you got the talent. When we launched anyway, the first four weeks so the first act we opened with Alison Wonderland, week two peeking duck, week three golden features. Hayden James. Hayden yes. James, Rufus DeSoul, um Dom Dollar was one of our residents. Um, you know, we built up these relationships with all these artists and it's so great to have gone on a journey and see those artists rise with us. Um, Mm. When we launched Beyond the Valley, probably the biggest thing we thought was being under service was electronic music in Australia. Um, You know, I grew up going to festivals, like, you know, Big Day Out, Falls Festival, um, and there were local DJs playing, like Late Night Tough Guy or whatnot, that had the boil room tent packed, bigger than international bands. And you're like, why? Because, you know, people have had a few drinks and they just want to dance. Mm. So when we launched Beyond the Valley, really servicing all spectrums of electronic you know we had our non-negotiable acts um you know thank God we, we had Rufus deSo um you know bringing the new year in the first year nice real talk about the full circle moments Rufus de Sol headlining this year's event First event to 8,000 people. Their
2: third time playing BTV as well. They came back in 2019 played for us. A few more zeros on their
0: fee now, I imagine, than before.
3: No, nah, mate rates. Mates
0: rates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but honestly, though, did they give you a slight discount because of the legacy they have with you?
3: I think
2: no. the, the process in booking is easier because of the relationship and they've had a great time playing the festival.
3: So. But I think in terms of the, the the word like discount, I think it's like, you, you know, an artist is worth what their ticket-selling capacity is and, and Rufus have proven that as the preeminent, like, live electronic act in the country. I mean, I think they just did 200,000 tickets nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody, you know, you've got, you've got people that look at metrics, like streaming or what are they, their monthly streaming numbers or whatnot, and a lot of, you know, American agents and stuff ask me this question and go, and I don't get it. Rufus is all, how are they doing those numbers? Because like, they're building a culture and an affinity with their fan it's not someone that's streaming a song. It's someone that's like, I don't give a shit. I'll drop everything. I'll cancel mum's birthday, whatever, because I want to hear Inner Bloom and I want to, you know, have my best friend side by side. So that's what we're about, too. So that's why we probably resonate so well with uh, those guys.
1: But how did you cash flow those early days when you were just starting out and you had big aspirations? What did that look like financially?
2: We, we definitely bootstrapped it for a, a really long period of time. Like we were lucky that the club nights were really successful. We had 3,000 people coming in a week. So we put Everything that we owned into the festival. It was like a, a make or break yeah. situation. And, and
3: mind you, like the cash, the, the clubs were very profitable. Beyond the Valley, first year, taking the leap from clubs to a greenfield site. It's no, very different. Yeah, nobody teaches you traffic management, security. So we budgeted for eight thousand people. We got the eight thousand people, but for all the things we didn't budget for, we lost a million dollars, over a million dollars in in our first year. And you know, as twenty year old kids, that that really did you have a million dollars no, no.
2: <laughs> we like we had to go and, and like ask for loans and work we ticketing companies and just like get everything together we knew we had a great product so that we knew that once we put it on sale again it was going to be there the community was there they had a great time the event was five star reviews mm. all over the board so we weren't scared in that if we put it on sale again it would lose money we knew it would sell mm. out so it was a matter of convincing everyone around us that
3: that was going to be the same. And the backup plan was move to Mexico. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no, year, you know, there's this habit, there's this thing, out, and I think it was Gadinsky that said in, you know, one of his books, um, you know, you're not a promoter until you've lost a million dollars in a day. And,
2: um, we have been we can't prod- for, Yeah, now. we can promote <laughs> <it,
3: I> <laughs> um, But, yeah, look, year two, um, you know, feeling very lucky and blessed. There's a lot of, like, those sliding doors moments. Um, we created something really special in year one, and we could feel it. Um, you know, it wasn't profitable, but year two, There was this new hot festival on the scene. People wanted to play it. We booked Jamie XX after he released his amazing In Colour album, Skepta, Flight Facilities. We had so many great artists on the bill. And, um, you know, we sold 18,000 tickets that next year. Um, But I think uh, one of the biggest things is you're constantly learning, not Mm. just as promoters, but in all facets. And um, we weren't ready for that scale of people. Um, We were hit with four 40-degree days in a row. Um, Not many people know this, but, um, you know, the the fires were running rampant through Australia. um, fire trucks use a lot of ice to kind of cool their engines and we were having to divert some of our ice shipments to cool fire trucks and whatnot and so you're getting hit by all these things of being under-resourced under-prepared to deal with it and the event experience wasn't necessarily great for our punters um so we were, what we noticed you know we scaled quickly and then off the back of that we kind of had to rebuild essentially what building value was and scale properly you know take it back to what was manageable and build so we went down to you know thirteen thousand capacity and. 17,000 and 20,000, It's another
2: really big learning year. Like every year we find we learn something. That year it was like experience first. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a prime experience and then the rest will follow.
1: When you say it wasn't good for the punters, like obviously it wasn't great for you not knowing that there were these fires happening and then you had to forego some of your ice and everything. Good on you for doing that. Um, but what do you mean it wasn't great for the punters?
3: Well, when you're planning out a festival, um, you know, you're, you're available, particularly camping festivals, you know, your camping experience is just as important as the arena. So you can heat map the amount of people you can fit in the arena, but just as much as you can your camping space. Um, and selling that many tickets, we were probably underprepared to manage that many, you know, people taking up four campsites, that, not enough camping space. There's a new side that year as well, new, which always comes with a lot of challenges mm-hmm. so. and, and the problem is, is that when you're sitting on something that is a, a, an in demand product and you've come off the back of losing a lot of money, you you want to kind of call back some of the losses to reinvest in you know in things like that and um yeah it was a it was a good good humbling experience to not grow too quickly grow sustainably mm. and it's something that we've really kind of you know yeah, it's something
2: that we're taking with the rest of the festivals that we launched like pitches growing in capacity slowly every year and it's a, I think it's a nice model with a camping festival and
3: Grapevine Gathering started just in Victoria um, and you know, slowly expanded standard state by state and now it's a successful touring festival across six states so.
1: And how long into founding the company did you tell your mom that you had founded the company? Because you were telling us the other day uh, that yeah. she didn't know. Well, that's
3: very, this is very funny because, um, yeah, I was living at home at the time and um, the way that they found out because, you know, at that age, your parents can just open your mail and see things like that if you've got a fine. And I dropped out of uni without telling my parents and my brother encouraged me, he goes, pursue music. You love that. You're not into science. You're not into medicine. Don't do that. And my parents found out that I got a fine for not having a concession card. They said, no concession card, no concession card. Are you not at uni anymore? And that's how it all it all came about. Um, and, you know, for for the first, you know, up until probably six months ago, <laughs> they were cursing Phil's name because he got you into, you know, DJing and nightclubs and whatnot. But it was, I guess, the, through just convincing them that, that, that you can make a living out of music and not just through being a musician. There's so many things. I really think music sits at this really unique intersection of creativity, entrepreneurship and you know and for us um you know independence like mm-hmm. kind of you know doing it doing it on our, on our own i so think it. as
2: well some something promoting it's a bad rap as well it doesn't have the best connotation so when you've got a generation that had very clear career paths what we were doing doesn't actually make sense when you're trying to explain mm-hmm. it well especially for ethnic parents
0: like you know my, my parents are egyptian and you're in a- in egypt you're either really really rich and everyone has a degree or you have no degree and you're in poverty and so they come to Australia to escape all that nonsense and then their kids like Why, nice. stuff it up. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and and credit to credit to, you know, Ganinski and Chugs and all the names we're mentioning before. Yeah. But my parents growing up with all that. They're thinking Skyhawks of this, the Metro Theatre. And when we said we're running clubs at Metro, they go, Don't you know clubs are nothing but rock and roll and sex and drugs? And we're like, What's this bad part you're talking about?
1: and how big is the company now?
2: We have 65
1: staff, I think,
2: as of today. So nice. it has grown a lot pre-COVID. Like before COVID, there was a team of 10, 11, and we made a very conscious decision to bring everything in-house after COVID. It just, it's helped us be more agile, move really quickly. All the marketing, site, event operations it's allowed us to build at the scale that we're at now.
1: So COVID hits... And you decide. Let's grow as a business in the event space. Well, not, not instantly. COVID
2: <laughs> hits, and we step back, and we're like, "Well, we can't actually do anything." But what we can do is take stock of the business, where it's at, and where we want it to get to. So it was two years of not running the events that we're used to running, but sitting down and planning. And
3: it was probably the best. It was the. I mean, obviously, devastating for our industry. It wasn't the best. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to say the best thing for our mental capacity of slowing down, mm-hmm. because when I say we started club nights. Thirteen years ago, we still run a Saturday night for the last thirteen years, and always will run a club night for that connection to, you know, youth culture and underground music. That is very important to us. But um, we didn't let go of any of our staff during COVID, and we had our team at the ready, presenting us with new ideas, presenting us with things. We were booking lineups at Built-out festivals that festivals. weren't happening. And when um, Dan Andrews finally said that we've hit our vax targets, Victoria restrictions are lifted. We had a fully planned out lineup, artwork, everything for Beyond the City. It was a Beyond the Valley a version for the Sydney Music Bowl. And Christian, our business partner, was on Nine News the next evening uh, saying, stay tuned. We're announcing oh, that evening, actually.
2: Well, it led us to go with multiple festivals. We went out with Ability Festival with Dylan Orcott, which was the first festival to come back yeah. in Victoria in that market. Then we had Beyond the City, Grapevine, Pit. So because we hadn't let go of the team, because we would kept working, kept moving, it was one after the other. We could just keep going.
1: And just to clarify, I think that's actually a great thing. We did a similar thing, you know, COVID hit and we didn't let any of our staff go uh, and we grew. Yeah, but I was
0: fucking shitting myself.
1: Well, okay, but he told me he he was shitting himself after the fact. I'm like, I have a CEO who is super confident, so therefore I'm super confident. And then once we were on the other side of that and all of his investment and doubling down paid off, he was like, I didn't know we would make it.
3: (laughs) We, like, no one knew. Like the, that's the worst part. Is um, I'm a blind optimist. I love going into everything, going no, no. You know, if you why even put that out into the universe about the the fail. But people were saying to us, "What are you going to do if events just don't come back?" And mm-hmm. I was like, "That's not going to happen. That's the part of culture, part of people's lives." And uh, you know, I I, don't, I wouldn't want to be doing anything mm-hmm. else. I couldn't imagine that. So um, but yeah, like coming out of it, obviously. Like Hats off to our amazing team, Like not just the ones that were with us after COVID, but all, everybody that's joined us since because it's been such rapid growth that it's kind of always felt like that we're working at max capacity and doing new things and bringing it on.
2: And a lot of that team has been with us since the very start as well. It's like, sounds corny, but it, it's a family at Untitled and we've been able to keep the whole team build and grow together throughout this process. That's
3: mm-hmm. probably actually been one of the, um, when people talk about challenges you face in scaling. Is you don't realize, but you know, probably after about thirty employees or something, that you hit that you don't realize that you start losing that connection to every single employee, and that and the channels that go up, you build in layers and systems and processes, and and having ensuring that everybody that works at Untitled Group is aligned with the the vision and the mission, and the purpose of the company, is something that we've been working on, um, and ensuring that um, you know that that you know, everybody's proud of where they work, and and and, mm. and
0: under ten employees culture just kind of happens because people are close to you and they just mirror kind of how you behave then when you get over 10 you kind of somehow need a productized culture and scale it like how do i get employee number 49 to act as if they're working right next to me kind of thing Um, and that is not a fucking easy skill to and not an easy thing
2: to do how did you guys learn that what did you guys do to be able to scale culture in a business like we've done a few things within the business that have really helped that so every monday we provide lunch for the team so it's after the weekend we get an opportunity to all chat about the club night or what's happened the past week any issues that we're having and it's a good moment to all come together and then every quarter we also do a quality update so every department gets up talks about what they're doing fills the whole team in and that's a good way for someone who's in marketing who doesn't know what touring's doing to chat to them see how the whole thing's going or someone in the site team to let the sponsor team know what's going on there mm-hmm. so all these touch points, let the team know
3: and expand on that. It really helped. And, and I think that's a one big thing is while our department's are separate, we don't operate in silos. If someone has a good suggestion for the company, it's a good suggestion. In fact, on the Friday that just passed, we ran UG Tank, which was Untitled's version of Shark Tank. We broke our team out into different groups and we sat there with the sharks while they pitched us <laughs> ideas for the company um some of them just totally intangible and hilarious and ridiculous but some of them so good that we're mm. probably going to look at implementing yeah, and it and just, just
2: and trying to build that entrepreneurial nature within the team mm. as well and a great team building exercise
1: is it called Ugg Tank because of your alcohol brand
3: no 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 but that was it was it was funny one of the pitches involved that but um it's called Ugg Tank, and uh, you, untitled group shark tank like the oh yeah oh
1: untank
3: um, we uh, should we call oh, it ugtank like,
1: as an ugly Ah, uh,
3: ugly no <laughs> You're on just Sorry
1: is. <laughs> I also just kind of wanted to give you a segue to talk about, yeah. Harki, okay. but, you know, well, I mean, okay. take it or leave
3: it. Yeah, well, well I'll talk about ugly because, um, I mean, talking about the different, you know, no silos, there's also different businesses that operate within the banner. So, you know, Underscore is our marketing agency that does a lot of branding and influencer work. Um, we started Underscore when we realized we had a lot of great ideas and products and services that we wanted to offer but that didn't necessarily fall within Untitled or Music. Yeah. Um, you know. So Underscore created, um, basically we're working with a great company called 80 Proof that once we realised and they pitched us the idea that um, uh, ugly fruit, uh, shows has got a huge food waste problem, um, which is a huge contributor to um, greenhouse gas emissions. And Explain what ugly fruit is. So ugly fruit is cosmetically imperfect fruit rejected by the supermarket. So Coles and Woolies will say good, 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 ugly, ugly. Nothing wrong with it except for a bruise or blemish and farmers literally throw that back out in their crops to decay. It emits methane, way worse than CO2 and is a huge, huge contributor to um, um, global warming. And um, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of great companies like Oz OzHarvest and stuff that release studies about how reducing food waste is one of the most impactful ways that you can tackle climate change. So when we got told that you could make vodka out of this food waste, out of the apples that are literally just discarded and we figured out you could do it absolutely at scale. Uh, we created Ugly Vodka through our um, agency, Underscore, and we launched it at Beyond the Valley last year. So every vodka Red Bull that was served was Ugly Vodka Red Bull. Um, and through Beyond the Valley alone, we saved five tons of imperfect fruit. Ugly has now saved over 50 tons so far. And uh, this year, we're launching our RTD range, so our canned drink range, which will see our impact grow exponentially. We're, I'll do a shameless plug now. We're available in first choice liquor <laughs> nationally in liquor lands. And um. We've got big ambitions with um you know i think the biggest thing is that with scale our impact grows and that's what we care about i care i love seamless integrations of doing things better without the consumer having to change their behavioral habits or not um so that's why we started ability fest um with the dylan alcott foundation um it's a festival that not only raises money for young Australians with disabilities but has uniquely designed infrastructure to cater for people with all levels of ability so You've got um, people, uh, rooms for people with uh, sensory, audio uh, audible disabilities, um, pathways, ramps, Auslan interpreters. Um, it really, everybody checks their ego at the door and it's an event where everyone kind of comes together to ensure that everybody's safe and included.
2: Yeah. And it was really like another organic partnership as well. Like we, we love Dylan. Dylan's doing so much amazing stuff and he was coming to a lot of events and had this great idea and he his values aligned with our values too. So it just... Happens so organically and we just love how it works is there any profit in that
0: festival like is all the do you guys have shareholders and is he like or it all gets all the profit all, gets all proceeds
3: ready? go to the dylan Olcott foundation yep. yeah okay wow and i think to date um over a few editions, we've raised over a million yeah it's a million dollars a million dollars yeah, no, yeah. yeah so and, t- yeah yeah no yeah and dylan, dylan's uh dylan, dylan's very uh, it's, it's great to have dylan you know now that he's retired from tennis um he's got lots of ambitions for that event so yeah. stay, stay tuned that's awesome it's gonna
1: grow amazing
0: tell me about um the so how the business has
2: grown have you taken any other shareholders any other investment in the journey at all no the, the business is solely the four of us so we're still completely independently owned australian owned and i feel like that's allowed us to remain really agile and i think it's really important in the industry as well like we've seen this week a big sound and chatting to people they keep coming to us and saying it is so important to have not just the big three, but a fourth company that is independent, that keeps everyone honest and can do things a bit differently.
1: Is it evenly split between the four of you? Yeah,
2: the four of us are all equal shareholders and it's just, there's no power imbalance. We get into a room and everyone's got an equal vote and it allows us to, with a bit of passionate discord, make a really educated decision.
1: What do you mean by passionate?
2: We, we all sit on different spectrums of the personality test. So we we did one about 12 months ago and we're in each quadrant. It looks so. like a cross. It's which, like a,
1: t- which personality test did you do? The Maya Briggs one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. One? Yeah.
2: So we, like we all sit in different spots and then we find a way to come to the middle. What mm-hmm. are you,
1: Nick? Did you, like, because I'm the advocate. Did you, do you remember like the name that you got? It
3: would have been like Adventurer. Yeah. Or... yeah. Do you remember you? I didn't get promoter. Christian got promoter. I got, Which
2: like, was really funny that there was a promoter part. In the <laughs>
3: but, you know, there's a thing about complementing skill sets and I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and I know at, at what times I, you know, you know, I, I love business development. I love, you know, landing new opportunities for the company and then kind of bring it into the, the, the greater team to kind of execute. Um, and there's a kind of like saying about partnerships is like, you know, one-on-one shouldn't equal two. If one-on-one equals two, you're getting the same net result of being individual businesses. One and one should equal three, and I think in our case, one and one and one and one equals sixteen. So the maths was yeah. <laughs> But how
0: does it how does it work? Like you, you if you vote or both, like if you the vote split, who has the casting vote?
2: It then comes down to the departments that we manage. So let's say it's a touring decision, which is the department that I look after. If we come to a deadlock, which actually hasn't happened yet then the person who manages that department
3: gets the final vote.
1: That makes total sense. Yeah. But
3: also people go, I don't know how you've remained business partners and, and you never had big flyer tones. You no, know, we disagree passionately all the time. And some debates will go on extended. But wherever we land is exactly we I meant to. And, and we always respect the vote. The vote, yeah. <laughs> okay,
0: so what have you guys thought about, um, have you guys planned for, Obviously, there's the conversation about an exit strategy as a company, but individual exits. So if somebody wants to leave or somebody, like life circumstances change where they can't be in the business,
2: what have you guys planned for that? I had this conversation a few weeks ago and what we all kind of settled on was we love what we do. And if we weren't doing this, we would be so bored and everyone was on the same page. We want to stay in this, we want to keep going, we want to build this business to the biggest entertainment business in Australasia. So. We're lucky in the sense that right now everyone is totally aligned on the direction.
0: And when somebody is anyone married with kids yet?
3: Christian just got married. Christian just got married. (laughs) No kids yet. Uh, Not that I know of. So things could change, right? And do not things can change. Why would
1: being married with kids change?
0: Well, it just, your life circumstances change. So your personality might change, your ambitions might change. Like it
2: is a Mm -hmm. huge moment.
3: Particularly particularly being a promoter. I mean, you know, (laughs) you'll get something like, (laughs) sorry
2: well it's not the most family-friendly business to jump in you get to go to shows every night you get to go to festivals on weekend Mm. you're working crazy hours you're on late night calls but we're all lucky in that we've got people in our circles that appreciate that and who are very encouraging of where we're at with our business
0: so i'm getting a lot of um yeah we hit some road bumps but we're fucking awesome and we push through it (laughs) there was no one breaking down in the car there's no one fucking we thought it was we thought we made the biggest mistake of our life oh, there's
2: definitely been that along the there way breakdowns yeah, I, mean, I remember crying behind a toilet cubicle because of how stressful it was like it's not been an, an easy road and the challenges that we've had and the failures that we've had have been our biggest learning curves as well
3: and they just they don't change people think as a company scales they're like, oh, now you're laughing because it's got that. No, it's just bigger problems and different problems. Um, I think also scale changes a lot of things, particularly in the public eye. Um, You'll get a festival like Beyond the Valley that um, just had its best year yet. You know We, we sold out our 34,000 camping on site quicker than ever. But when we released the lineup, there was a lot of negativity online about, you know oh, this or that because the scale so big that we got it. And I, I just remind the team or remind anybody that might take those things on board is that if you're hitting an audience of, I say hundred thousand people online uh, that care about the festival. We had seventy thousand registrations for this year's event. Yeah, yeah in interest. So uh, call it hundred thousand because you round up as a promoter. There's going to yeah. be always <laughs> add a little <laughs> bit, bit of promoter. Yeah. <laughs> so so call it hundred thousand. I have to remind my team that if you, if you please nine out of ten people, that's still ten thousand people that are not happy. And out of those people that are displeased, if one out of ten of them, which still is a thousand people, becomes a keyboard warrior, that's a thousand bad comments. So a thousand bad comments isn't a bad metric. That's one percent of people you're trying to please.
2: But it does hit very hard. It though, does hit well, hard oh. like, when you've worked on something for so long and then you get negative comments. It's not an easy process.
3: And with. I think we're kind of seeing it a bit across the board. Um, you know, Australia, Australian culture has a bit of that kind of, you know, people would rather go on and say their funny comment. Um, Uh, to get their their, their little likes or their moment in the the spotlight rather than kind of praising and celebrating. And, you know, there's a lot of talks about the show having tall poppy syndrome and not celebrating successes. Um, I think that's the tide slowly changing on that, which is really good to see. I mean, we're not as extreme as America at the moment where everyone's, you know, blessing up every morning online and stuff. But um, it's good. Let's get some bless up. No (laughs) doubt. I think there's also,
2: like, Right now in the festival landscape, there's a very high expectation of what the lineups should be. So we've just had Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, all these big mega styles come to the country. And when they're not on the festival lineups, they're going to cop it. They're like, the expectation has become large.
1: Well, you would love to know that we at the Bragg Media actually have an editorial part of our manuals and our guidelines and our mission as a company to not pay attention to a few tweets and make a story about it. You know, we have a line which says 20 people talking about it on Twitter is not everybody talking about it. And I know that people tweet for social currency and I know that people like that, the algorithm actually supports anger. Mm. So you won't see a headline from us saying about a few bad comments.
2: Yeah, thanks.
1: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> tell, tell me about the current climate of booking a lineup right now because you've got the Australian dollar, which has been a bit depressed. Um, so it's more expensive than ever to bring out internationals. And we've also had a period where internationals couldn't come to the market. So all the Australian artists overworked and they can't sell as many tickets here as they yeah. used to. Um, what What's it been like booking festivals right now? It must be the hardest time to do it.
2: Yeah, this year has definitely been the hardest year ever to book headline talent mm-hmm. because the dollar sucks everyone's burnt out because they're making their money overseas in Europe or America. And domestic artists that have been kind of the lifeblood of all of our festivals aren't selling as well on festival bills. So it's been really challenging.
3: And I think that the, the goal for us as promoters, particularly when we are working with you know, debut tours or you know, agents or managers overseas, is, is what we've really created across all the different events and tours and venues and whatnot is an ecosystem for talent to thrive. Um, you know, we've worked with artists where we bring them in for a debut tour and back for a bigger festival slot, then for bigger headline shows, then for bigger festival slot. And it's creating that growth pathway, which I think is the real, real thing. Like We always tell artists that if you put the time and invest into the market, the market will return back to you. But if you're starting this by going, we're doing 10,000 cap rooms in America, we should get the same fees in Australia. It's just not feasible. It's just not feasible. And that's why so many big artists just haven't made their way down under here. Yeah.
0: so what happens then what's the consequence of that are you making less money is the margins
2: worse well we've got to put ticket prices up which is then impacting the consumer because they're also suffering True. from really bad economic conditions as well mm-hmm. so it's that that fine line of trying to find that balance
0: and how have you threaded the needle where, where did you land
3: well the i mean everybody's talking about costs, costs have gone up across the board by at least 30 percent we looked at our ticket prices, raising them by 30 percent. Simply not feasible. Just not a palatable ticket price. Not something that you could go in. So we had to find a middle ground where we are. We, you know, we might be sacrificing a bit of our, our profit um, to make the event more sustainable during these you know, challenging economic conditions. But we're keeping the integrity of the event. We're keeping the consumer first, and we're getting through. And you know, it still is a bit of a risk. You know, we we, we did have a bit of pushback on the ticket price increase this year. And we tried to educate and communicate as best as possible as to why it did have to increase. Um, and thankfully, our audience, you know, while, while there's a bit of resistance, um, they, believe the they believe in the product and they, and they bought the tickets. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to see what's going on, people just need to look at things like, hey, what does it cost you to fill up your car now? What does it cost yeah. you to fly somewhere now, you know? And imagine dealing with that when we're dealing with production freight flying over artists. It's, it's, it's all changed. And um, again, different, different year, different challenges, new day, new dilemma.
1: It's not just you, it's everyone. Sorry, what was that?
2: Never a dull moment. Something Mm. I say a lot in the office because every day is different.
1: Is that how you stop yourself from crying? Never a dull moment, everybody. (laughs) Can I just also say thank you for sharing that you got emotional as well at the first Beyond the Valley because I think it's important for. Anyone who has founded a company is thinking of founding a company to know that those moments come Mm. and that it's okay to not have it all together in that moment.
2: Mm. It's definitely challenging. Like, we went through a lot of stuff that first year that we did not expect. We did not know how to run a camping festival or a festival full stop. We'd come from Club Night. So, there was so much that was thrown at us that year that we learned from, but it was a very challenging year to get through.
3: I think that's part of, I guess, being an entrepreneur is like, um you know, you kind of <laughs> the state of the business is the state of you sometimes, and mm. you also need to learn to detach from that. Um, you know, we had a we had a really impactful um, moment last year. There was it impacted a lot of um, promoters globally. There was a UK ticketing company called Fest Ticket that um, went bankrupt, and with that, a lot of funds were lost, promoters' funds, and we were using them to ticket Grapevine. So there was a large portion of funds that. Were lost in grapevine you know i think it's probably they, they released the stats pop- a lot of money yeah. yeah so you know <laughs> over over two and a half million dollars uh that we lost in a single day and it really really rips the life out of you when something totally out of your control gets taken and we had to wear that loss run the event honor all the tickets still um and it takes a lot of toll out of you but you, you know nick says uh never a dull moment i say and this smooth seas ahead. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, <this laughs> ahead.
0: So, your, your sixty-five staff. I mean, your over your salaries alone would be about six million dollars. I'm going to guess the the business is doing a lot of revenue.
3: were right? saying our salaries, are
0: Yeah, the the business is, must be doing a lot of revenue. you profitable, growing business, which and you're only cash flowing it yourselves. Um, at what point do you look to sell the business?
3: I don't. I don't think there's a point. And do you know what we may never sell the business and i don't think that's been that i don't think that's that's our priority right now our priority is looking to what's going to continue to grow the business
2: and what areas now that we've got the festivals we've got the touring what excites us mm-hmm. that we've been to move into next and that's kind of a big focus for us now as well Definitely. and we've all sat down and we're like what would we do if we sold the business and we, we don't know so we want to keep this going for 10 years 20 years 30 years mm-hmm. and have you
0: had
3: conversations like have people asked you I think I think there's a different, I mean, there's always interest in Untitled Group and that the, the best thing is that that stems from both inside the music industry but for the first time ever outside the music industry, you know, you've got wealthy family office and venture capitals and stuff that are going, oh, wow, these guys have an audience and data and all these things. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, while we've had and conversations, again, the focus for us is is on growth and on keep on doing what we're doing and amplifying that and, you know, Unless we have a partner or something that could really amplify that, um, which right now we're we're really ticking all the boxes and doing it all ourselves, Um, so we're quite happy with where Mm -hmm. we're at. And we
2: we also don't want to lose the agility that we have within the four of us that's allowed us to get to this point as well. There's like there's a magic in what the four of us can do together, and if we brought someone in at this stage, we would lose what what that is
0: potentially i mean there would be enough demand for i for your business i believe where you could almost zuckerberg it and say yes we'll sell 30 percent of our equity but you get no voting rights mm. we keep the voting rights now we get money off the table you guys get to go and buy some houses and some boats or whatever and then you can keep running it as you are is that an option you've thought about
3: a boat would be nice <laughs> <laughs> a boat would be nice but again it goes back to it's like wait, what does that money do for the business It's it's like not about the boat it's about what would amplify our growth? I guess ideas would come on the on the boat. <laughs>
0: You're already justifying <laughs> it. Actually, yeah.
3: um, no, but yeah. Going back to it, there's there's one final piece I will say is like um, there is a real celebration of independent independence across the music industry across the board. Um, Which we, we've
2: lost a lot of in the last few years. There's not really many independent businesses left in the Australian music industry.
3: Yeah, right. and like you know. Um, you look at, um, yeah, actually, I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but a lot of the ticketing providers and suppliers that we work with are independent business Australian businesses, and um, we get approached by, you know, international companies want to enter the market and put very appealing deals, and we sometimes, you know, it, it, you know, it's always it's always harder to make the the righteous choice, but you got to look at what's it doing for the industry, mm. and um, you know what would it do for the industry if we were to sell half of it and and go on a boat and um <laughs> it's it, it's not it's not exactly um you know the path that we're looking to take Yeah,
2: whilst the boat would be nice, I think we wouldn't enjoy what we're doing day to day as
3: much. But if there would if be, be off the boat. Yeah, But if there would be a boat, you do get invited to the boat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think yeah. some parties
3: yeah, on the boat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wait, do you see Mushroom Group as an independent company or no? Like is Frontier to you as a promoter an independent
3: promoter? I think well, I think when you look at the, the big three, mm. you know, you've got AEG, who, you know, now uh, so who at Frontier, AEG That's Frontier. Right. You've got TEG, Live, and you've got um, Live Nation. Now, you know, we've got a thing called Polestar where everyone reports the annual ticketing uh, report. A recent one just came out and we placed quite highly in it. But when you look at the people that place above us, they're all subsidiaries of those big three companies. So when you break it down, we we came number four essentially mm-hmm. out of that. So, and that's where we really see ourselves sitting is alongside TEG, AEG Frontier and Live Nation. Um, when you talk about, you know, is, is Frontier an independent company? Um, Frontier similar to us as, you know, there's Frontier Touring, there's Mushroom Group with so many different arms, Mushroom Creative House, all these things that sit outside of that, you know, AEG arrangement. Um, so, you know, they are... There, again, you know, if anything, I'd say that's been a really inspiring kind of journey to see, um, and you know, I just we just saw Ego, the Michael Gudinski um, documentary, which was so inspiring, um, at, and so insightful. But I think the greatest thing is that that was really laid the foundation to for us to do what we're doing now in such a short amount of time. Like you know, essentially, Untitled Group is now only maybe seven mm. or so years old. Yeah, like yeah
2: six, seven. Since yep.
3: its inception. And for us to have done what we've done, um, I just think it's so exciting for where we can kind of take it from there. Yeah,
2: they laid the foundation to allow what we do to, to happen.
1: The phrase "standing on the shoulders of giants" comes to mind. Yeah, so cool.
0: and now you compete with them for talent.
3: Yeah, well, do you know what's funny? <laughs> do you know what's funny? Is every, I mean, competition is a good thing. Keeps everyone honest. Mm-hmm um and i think the best thing about when we're competing for talent is the the best offer wins and we've got such a good and open collaborative relationship i mean like particularly with other festival promoters um you know jess and paul at secret towns and spun on the grass and danny rogers at laneway you know we're always in conversation and
2: even even matt at mushroom like that that
3: boardroom that mm. was the
2: first club night that i ever worked out with the mushroom guys so there's a lot of respect for that team
3: yeah i mean there's a lot of respect for you know the the, the companies that are, that are doing good business will, you know, collaboration and cooperation is one big thing that kind of COVID brought out for everybody. Um, but in in terms of what the, you know, if there's an act that hasn't been to the country or whatever, it's about putting the best value proposition forward and that act will choose appropriately. Um, in the end, probably some of the worst scenarios you see is when two people are going so headstrong over an act that they end up overinflating prices, unrealistic expectations are set and then that precedent is set moving forward which yeah. we think is an unhealthy thing for our market and our territory
0: but that's the inevitability when you have a lot of competition
3: um no i think that's the inevitability when you have multinationals with unlimited pockets that essentially can just keep going up you know we get to a point where it's not sensible for us and mm. we and we, and we, we know out, our limits we know our limits mm.
0: and 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 the reason why they can Maybe break even or take a slight loss on the fee for the artist is because they get all the other value chain, the the car parking and the venue yeah. and all that sort of
2: stuff. It's which the, it's the volume deals, it's it's the rebates, it's, like, yeah. it's it's all that stuff which we're not at that scale where we're mm. able to tap it into our deals. Yeah, yeah I
3: think they call it um aggregated, um, you know, aggregated profit or, or something on like it because while they might be making a two percent margin on the event, the margins in the ticketing or the the, the outside of that. You know, our event business, we strive for, you know, kind of like that 12% mark there. Um, we're very lucky to have built out other, re- other revenue streams that fit outside of events, um, you know, which are, mm. which are, I think are just going to help stabilise the group as a whole so that if there is a bad year or another pandemic, like, you know, <laughs> touch wood, touch wood, <laughs> touch wood if, you know, but we, we have the stability that we can persevere and keep going. And um, I think... With the lap, like seeing the collapse of a lot of independent promoters in Australia and whatnot, there's a lot of hesitation sometimes. But having those um, artists, agents, teams, and stuff that want to work with us because they know how dynamic we are, how much we're putting everything on the line, and how much we care about every tour, we're not going for a huge volume game. We care about every artist that we're working with yeah. and every team. And I'm um, not saying that the others don't, but there can be. Um, you know, there can be a bit of a difference in times of like, you know, we like to think that's a bit of our advantage in terms of how we kind of approach a lot of the, that, that going back to that growth pathway for artists.
0: And so what is on the roadmap then?
2: Do you guys want to get into ticketing and buy a venue, buy some venues? There's venue opportunities that we're exploring like non-stop. Like for us, the last venue that we had was the Wool Store. We did some amazing electronic events there. We had Solomon, Jamie Jones, for other parties. Did you have the, the lease for that and you were, you were the owners effectively? We, we rented it for a period of time and then with COVID, things sort of changed, but we're always exploring more unique venue opportunities rather than like hard stand, consistent venues because for us, a lot, of, like a lot of the business has been built on putting unique options together. In terms of like venue spaces, we would definitely explore that. And what cap sort of venue would you guys
0: be looking at? 'Cause I know Live Nation, they're on a they're desperately trying to buy as many big venues as they can. They're not interested in the small ones. Are you guys going for a similar space or are you looking for more I small think, ones?
3: I think whatever we whatever we do, it would have a considered strategy in mind. Like, you know, I think the best you look at the best companies that are doing it, they have the similar size venue across the East Coast so they can route the artists into their venues and whatnot. Um, I think the most exciting part is first and foremost, was getting our festivals and our festival game really right and and, and profitable and solid. They Um, are profitable now though, right? Yeah, they're they're all very- All right, so tick? Tick, tick, (laughs) (laughs) But but it comes with that understanding of what you need to do to get it profitable. I mean, laying the foundation of a festival is the hardest thing to do. I think the the best example is when you see a, a brand that's so established internationally, try and come and plant the flag in Australia.
2: Without the community that without it the,
3: Yeah. So well, I won't name like specific examples, but you'd know like- Big well, global IP. Global brands that go, we're yeah. coming to Australia and just doesn't connect. Yeah. The difference is when we do that with a market, people don't realize that Australia is hyper-localized. What we book on Beyond the Valley, and this is a, the advantage of why we didn't do a touring festival for over the New Year's period. We've got yeah. Beyond the Valley and its sister festival, Wildlands. Wildlands books a very tailored lineup for Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide are different to Melbourne. Melbourne has a very big, thriving underground house and techno scene that might not exist in Brisbane. Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide have a lot more of a trap, drum and bass, hip hop community. Mm. So we're booking acts that are exclusive to those. Lean in. Lean into that. And the way that we lean in is we engage local promoters on the ground that either you know DJ on our side stages, run after parties, sell t- sell promoter tickets for us, mm. and that goes back to how we started in the industry. Um, or, you know, I was selling tickets for Sonic and Future Music Festival. And I mean, very different times back then. I'd sell a thousand tickets, I'd put 150000 dollars in my backpack, I'd zip it up, and I'd go to their office and empty out the cash and they'd go, Great job, Mike, here's 10 VIP tickets. And I'd be like, okay, what a day, hey. <laughs> Fuck, um, I did the same thing for rappers, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But but I think that that's a big thing to be conscious of is um you s you introduced this podcast with generation one generation two generation three generation four and and well, actually we well, number three you're number three yeah, yeah, yeah. M- right. you're maybe number three yeah
0: yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah you're right.
3: but um i think one of the biggest things is um and it's been very evident in this big sound particularly when you're giving your time to someone who just wants tips and feedbacks is that there are great courses out there now available for your know, music business um entrepreneurship in music etc all these different things but um I think um, don't be shy to, to ask the questions because we learn from mistakes and we learn from doing. We learn from doing and we learned from a lot of people that we're in the industry. I mean, we now have a lot of great industry-wide mentors and people that we talk to and bounce around ideas and, and you know, say, hey, are you guys feeling this? We're feeling this. We should adjust this. But at the start, there are, there are a lot of people in the industry that you know, weren't great influencers that you know, were either stealing money or ripping us off and we had to learn the hard way. So I think a big mission is, like, how can we empower the next generation and work with them mm. so that, you know, they're not working against us, they're working with us. Mm.
0: So what is the biggest mistake you guys have made in your careers?
2: One each. You don't get to share an answer. Yeah, 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 I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think beyond the value of year one, not doing a budget until, like, the 28th of December the day of the event that was probably not the greatest situation for us what was your job before this i was in accounting i but i, but I was in accounting to the point where i actually hated accounting so much that i did not want to look at budgets you left
1: at last minute because of that
2: well i passed it on to someone else so the, the guys didn't know that i was working in accounting until after that event oh was that your
3: hidden thing that was my hidden thing He had the fake name
2: fake id's i hid my accounting background but um from that we learned when you start an event, do a budget, and <laughs> you can set your ticket price and do all that from there. So there's a big learning curve out of that.
3: Mm. Um, I think for me, it goes back to the what COVID forces to do is, um, and you know, you read so many good books. There's a great book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and it's knowing the moments to pull back and think slow or we'll, we'll zoom out, have a zoomed out perspective. Because we are so passionate about music in our business, you can have tunnel vision on. On an, an artist, you know, you can, mm-hmm. like, and, and, and you let your personal bias, you know, I won't again go and name, name your names, but we've got in bidding wars where we're offering way too much money for an artist. And you said what was the biggest mistake that you've had? It was a blessing. You lose this artist, you're like, no, it's going to this other festival, and you're so deflated and defeated. I may have cried as well.
2: <laughs> and we then it sheds some tears.
3: It sheds some tears. And then um, it comes out albums the, the the new hyped album from that artist doesn't connect the festival that paid millions of dollars that artist it doesn't connect on the on the festival and you're like wow
1: dodged a bullet wow
3: in hindsight I dodged a bullet so biggest yeah, mi- the big, biggest mistake is, is i guess um removing detaching that you know we said that as entrepreneurs we're so attached to the business and success of the business is you know how we're doing i think the biggest mistake is um not being able to detach that and taking the emotionality out of it being very calculated with your thinking and um i think that's just part of growing up as well um mm-hmm. now learning you know thinking about your thinking knowing when to pull back um because i think most people that like know us on a personal level um particularly our staff will know that you know we're we're very very we're very hard on our sleeve and you know the nally for booking of last year at beyond the valley is a great example of it you know we'll, we'll come downstairs into the office and I'm like Nelly Furtado, what's it, what's everyone's doing? No, 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 everyone's
2: very involved in every decision. Yeah. and
3: then suddenly the team's doing Nelly Furtado manifestation boards in the office, and yeah, yeah, the music amazing. playing. The music playing, and and probably why you know there's so many body theories and leaks and TikToks online going around. Yeah, which is something we've learned. We've learned. We um, get a lot of those leaks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a, there was a ridiculous flyer that went around this year. Um,
2: I think it said that we had Kendrick Lamar, Fredigan. Gwen Stefani, again, Carly Minogue, uh, Macklemore. Like Macklemore, Rufus DeSole. Yeah, which is like it the days. ticket price would be at least $1,500. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I,
3: mean, I mean, that's bigger than the Coachella lineup. But, yeah. but, 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 yeah. but learning to adapt to culture now. For the first time ever, you've got people on TikTok sharing these fake flyers going, let's talk about this flyer. We know Rufus is playing Beyond the Valley. McIlmoore hasn't been to a show in and people with bloody PhDs in music theorem now.
2: <laughs> you know? Like Fred's got this gap in his calendar. Yeah. He's definitely playing beyond the valley. So, ASD. so for
3: the first time, we're we're reacting to adaptive technologies as well. And like, um, TikTok is probably one. Of, it can be your best friend and worst enemy as well. So this is really going to impact how we go into our campaigns yep. next year and moving forward. Um, you know, I think our marketing team did a great job at being adaptive this year. Um we to, to start our campaign we plastered melbourne with uh that just said there's no place i'd rather be and it had a 1-800-BTV new NYA. and it wasn't a campaign that said we're back or hey beyond the valley's great it, it, it encouraged audience participation mm. so people called up and said hey beyond the valley here we're booking our lineup want to leave us a message bye and people like don't tell me you got roofers. Oh, better... We were actually
2: able to use those phone calls in those last few weeks to book some of the remaining acts, yeah, online as well because it was like 10,000 people caught up giving wow. us suggestions. So there was a few acts that we actually went in hard to nail based on those phone calls. Did you guys get the phone numbers of everyone that recorded? Yeah. yeah. Was it a great
0: data capture? Yeah. I've clapped for people listening.
3: Well, I mean, you touched on data then and um, it's it's a really interesting piece because you look at large companies like Live Nation and their revenue streams and commercial partnerships is massive. Um, you know, we had a really naive stance where we weren't doing commercial partnerships at the start of the festivals because we didn't want logos, we didn't want brands. Um, but I think it's about creating really good, you know, looking at our our database is close to a million young Australians at the moment. And when you've got brands that want to tap into that audience, it's like, hold on, wait, what, what do they want to tap into? And And looking at how you can how you can really like weaponize that data to create an impactful connection between either external brands and your audience but it's seamless. Like You don't want to be like, hey, guys, email them out and be like, hey, guys, you should buy Value-adding is yeah, I think the yeah. yeah. yes. And, um, you know, the, it, um, Bolsa, an uh, agency that we love and have used for, for our marketing a lot of times from the early days, uh, released a ticketing report with Tixel um, or Youth Insight report I think mm. a few years ago. And it, um, it cited the Daily Oz as um, just for the source of news. Uh, as, and 80% of our audience was doing, using that as their primary news source because it's social's first news. And we were blown away. We were like, and we pride ourselves on knowing the next generation of consumers. And having that,
0: and that connection. And having
3: that connection. People
0: need to know why you're mentioning Daily Oz right now, though.
3: So, yeah. So, <laughs> no, but off the back of that report, yeah. we saw that report. And um, we hit up the Daily Oz and there was an opportunity there and we ended up uh, buying in a share of the company. Oh, I thought nice. you invested in them before that. So oh, that that's was great. Actually off the back yeah. Thank you, Bolster. Yeah, yes. yeah, they they saw that, and we saw what the hell like eighty percent of our audience like that's that's their primary thing, um. And so yeah, we we became a large shareholder of the Daily Oz, and now look at how we can do kind of collaborative um, add value, add value, you know, to, to 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 both ecosystems. Um, because people say, what's the vision? You know, you've got ugly vodka, you've got the Daily Oz underscore. Um, there's a whole bunch of kind of other ancillary companies. And I think it's, it's um, we love understanding the next generation of consumers to better service them with better, I guess, events at the first, but better products, services, technologies. You know, we invent, we The package. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hmm. This might be a hard question to end with, but what is something across all of your years together, all of these things that you have achieved that you're most proud of? Nick? Mm-hmm.
2: I think it was Beyond the Valley last year, like moving to a new site, having Nally Furtado, having Dom Dollar who performed at BTV year one, BTV year two, year three, and has had this big moment, him doing the countdown, for us seeing the evolution of that festival and the crowd and the audience and even who we can book, we're very proud of that day, like seeing that on the stage and seeing that all come together. So that's, I think that's
3: definitely it.
1: Only happy tears that yeah. day.
2: Yeah, yes. yeah, not behind the talk.
1: <laughs>
3: My Mine's different, but I'll add to that, like looking at, You know, we like to think of us creating, you know, shaping culture and creating these moments. You've got Dom Dollar bringing in the new year right after Nelly Furtado um, and there was a viral edit on TikTok of Bicep Glue, Nelly Furtado, say it right, that was just going viral. So we were able to, you know, know, orchestrate a moment where Dom played Bicep Glue, Nelly Furtado came out and sang it. So for the first time ever, a song going viral on TikTok was performed live and I think, like, the metrics on that, there was, like, hundreds of millions of views across all the videos that went and captured Well, And that. even
2: her streams increased by 25% after, after BTV. After
3: BC. So, her, so you show streaming chart, and after New Year's, it goes up. That's on so the good, top of that, Dom and Nelly now have a song together. Yeah. Dom, Dom brings Nelly out on stage at festivals in the U.S. now, and it's spurred this new thing, and it all started at Beyond the Valley, which we're really proud about.
2: Yeah, it's, but, it's crazy for us to see how what we've created at BTV have a
3: global impact like that Mm. but that's nick's favorite moment i'm slightly biased because uh i've been working the last couple months on like creating another moment you know we we want to create moments where people go and that's the biggest thing you know we started in nightclubs and very much rooted in electronic but we don't want to be confined by genre um we really want to be working across all facets of the industry um, we've got a few surprises, uh, you know, tours and stuff that we're announcing. But probably my proudest moment was um announcing the Australian exclusive Christina Aguilera show that's recently. It was a big one. So a, good. Yeah, it was a big one. And um, you know, I mean, the the success of that show has been evident. We're upgrading the capacity. Uh it's gonna be a, a huge one-off show with Christina, um, who hasn't been here for 15 years. And that's just as a result of again looking at um our audience and our metrics and And while we have, you know, people are discovering music and and edits and whatnot now and not caring if an artist is from Mm. the 90s or the 2000s and that's the great thing about music is good music is timeless and Nelly Furtado had an audience there that were 18 all the way through to 35, 40, et cetera, that were enjoying that and with the data that we're seeing from the Christina ticket sales, she's going to have brand new fans and she's going to have fans that might have seen her 15 years ago when she was here at Rod Laver Arena and um, I think that's going to be a really proud moment for us like yeah. doing a big, big tour like that and
2: it also opens up a whole new audience for us like now we can tour pop stars who've been around for the last 20 years so we're it's exciting we're not just doing electronic or, or rap or pop
3: it's everything mm. it's well on, I mean and tour, touring alone I mean Nick heads up the touring department so you look at the growth in touring you know the stats better than I do yeah I mean we,
2: we went from one tour in 2018, our first ever tour, someone took a chance on us. And then like the last financial year alone, we toured over hundred artists. We've expanded into Asia. We're doing that. So it's really helped us to feed into the festival landscape as well. Massive. Mike and Nick,
0: the Australian music industry needs you to continue to be successful, needs you to grow, needs you to be generation three. Um, we all benefit from your success. I'm fucking blown away by everything you've done. Your track record speaks for itself. It's very inspiring passion and focus is undeniable. Thank you so much for coming on Fear at the Top. Thank you so Thank much for having us. Thanks.